So you have an outline, I hope. All right, good. I hope, hope you have an outline. Yeah. These are the, these are, we're talking about the seven hopes that we could isolate 20 hopes or 30 hopes, but just categorizing. And these are born out of not only a study of scripture, but also for me personally, just in dealing with people and trying to help them move from a place of not doing the will of God to doing the will of God. Hope is so important, isn't it? I want to start off by talking about, uh, before we even talk about the hope of transformation, understanding a little bit about the relationship of faith, hope, and love. And this is appropriate because the uh, pastor has been talking about love. And so the question is, or the uh, comments here that we have on the, the sheet are three essential motivators of the Christian life, and that is faith, hope, and love. And if you turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, We'll see these three as is in about four or five places in the New Testament mentioned together. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm going to start in verse 2. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, which means your work that is prompted by your faith. And making uh, and your labor of love, which is labor that is prompted by love, and then steadfastness of hope, which means endurance that is prompted by hope. So you see, these three faith produces what work in this passage. Faith produces work, and what does love produce? Labor, a little more intense. You know, when God tells you to do something. You do it, but then if you love the person you're doing it for, you do a little bit more, don't you? You don't just do the checkbox. You go the extra mile. But then hope produces what? Endurance. Hope is the connective tissue in some ways between the faith that we see in the Word, the commands of the Word, and the thoughts that are in the Word, and the (coughs) producing of character. Character, the loving character. Love is what we're supposed to do with each other, right? The whole Christian life is summarized in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we get to become a more patient person, a more kind person, a more person who boasts? It is through enduring obedience, if I can say it that way. And how do you endure well is hope, right? So hope connects faith to character or faith to love. And here we have, look, turn to Hebrews 11, 1, and you'll see a little bit more of what we're saying. Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, faith is the assurance of things what? Hope. Hope for, there. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So we see here that faith, a secure faith, will make your hope very robust, right? When you believe that God exists and that he's the rewarder of those that seek him, you have hope, right? Because it assures you that what you're hoping for is absolutely going to happen, right? So here we see in Hebrews 11:1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What do you hope for? Do you hope for transformation today? The stronger your faith is, the greater your hope will be, the greater your endurance will be when it gets tough, right? Do you believe, do you have faith in transformation and all those hopes that we talk about? Turn to Colossians 1.5. And in Colossians 1.5, we see the relationship of hope with love. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. 
And I'm going to start in verse 3. We give thanks to God. That's how Paul started 1 Thessalonians. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. And how does that love come? Springing from or because of the what? The hope that is laid for you in heaven. Can you see how hope produces love there? Let's think about that. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you a little more specific. I'm giving you an illustration of how when I have hope that heaven is coming, I can love you better. I can endure your sin better. <laughs> I can endure things better. I can fulfill the command to love, which is the summary of the Christian life. Now turn to Galatians 5, 6 for the last verse here on this brief introduction into faith, hope, and love because it's important as we get into change that we understand the relationship here, Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but rather faith expressing itself in what? Love. So faith working through love is the summary of the Christian life, and hope motivates love, and faith motivates hope. Do you see this? Faith motivated hope, hope motivated love. Faith, motivates, uh, faith motivated hope is essential to an enduring Christian life. Now let me add, let's get practical. So if you've heard anything I said, and you can really go take this home to apply it, here's the question. How does the hope of a promise in the Bible motivate you to obey the word of God, the command to love? How does a verse, a promise in the verse in the Bible motivate a hope that causes you to then love someone? Right? That's what we're asking. So let's pick a verse, any verse, kind of like pick a card, any card. Here we go. Here's a, here's a verse I'm going to pick, okay? Uh, not that one. Almost. We're going to do a, actually a case study. I'm not going to do a verse yet, sorry. But here, I'm going to show you how this w- could work, and it actually has worked even recently. This is a real-life situation. Changed a few topics so you didn't know. Eve, example of faith-motivated hope producing obedience and love. Case study. Eve is ready to get a divorce. We're going to go Adam and Eve because that's where it all started, right? <laughs> Eve is ready to get a divorce, demanding Adam, her husband, to leave. For 15 years, she has supported Adam as he has quit 15 different jobs, leaving her to manage the finances alone as she tried to make ends meet in providing for their four children. She finally reached out for counseling, and the counselor told her she had to stop enabling her husband. So she began telling him that she wasn't going to put up with that anymore, which led her to pulling away in words and actions. And one year later, they're at each other's throat daily. The children are saddened, and she is demanding that he leave. Now, do you see in that case study the need for faith-motivated hope and hope-motivated obedience and love? Now, some of you are sitting there, and I'm with you in this. Let's just agree with her. Get rid of the guy, right? (laughs) From a natural standpoint, living by sight, that is true. And that wasn't me, the counselor, telling her to do that. But as we, we think about how does this work, what promise would motivate her? So as I'm listening to her talk, I'm thinking, where am I going to go in the Bible to motivate her to obey and love? And what does obey and love look like here? Boy, that sounds like a good thing. He's not providing. Let's kick him out, you know? No, what is, what is loving? What is the right thing? So here's a verse that we go to. Promise, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. What does it say? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due season he will what? Cast all your cars, not cars, cares. <laughs> hey, 
and your cars too. Uh, sometimes we need that more than anything. <laughs> Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So helping her to put off coldness, right? And put on compassion. Is that the humble thing? I mean, I'm not talking about the weather of her life. The weather of her life isn't going to tell her to be that. But is the promise in God's word going to help motivate her to say, okay, this is how we would live out humility. We still have to be compassionate. Put off self-preservation as the number one goal. And put on glorifying God as the number one goal. Does that start sounding like Jesus in situations? Do you see how if she doesn't have hope, that she won't have that? She doesn't have a promise motivating a hope. She can't love. She can't do it. Speak for self, put that off, and speak for what? Speak for God. And I remember looking at her and, and saying, when you use the word enabling, which is a cultural word, there probably are some things in there that might be right in terms of you need to speak for God in this situation and you need to bring someone into this, Matthew 18 and so forth. But there's a whole lot of baggage that idea of enabling brings with it in this case. It sounds like what you're saying is, I am not going to put up with him, which is absolutely, isn't that different than what humility is here? She's like, yeah. So here's the deal. If she desires to be exalted by God, right? Why would she do this except that she would want to be exalted by God and cared for by God, right? If I humble myself, the promise of this verse, the hope of this verse is that you will be what? Exalted, right? You will be cared for by God. To isolate that hope for her, that promise became then energy to what? Love, endure, right? Now we add to that another verse. The promise of Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. It says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only a word that is good for what? Edification. That according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to the hearer and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So what is the promise here in this verse? That's going to motivate her to put off unwholesome words, put on wholesome words, Stop attacking the person. Start addressing the problem. Stop saying nothing and instead edify the person. There are time to speak and a time not to speak, right? And humility must lead that if she's going to be exalted. Why would she do that? According to that verse, where's the promise in Ephesians 4, 29 and 30? The phrase says this, only a good word for edification that it might give grace to the hearer and don't grieve the spirit for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here we have a why, the hope of redemption. Do you see how she would grieve the spirit's work in her if she continued to pull away from her husband and continue to attack instead of say, spirit, how do you want me to talk here, right? And I remember asking the question, say, how do you think the Holy Spirit would have you talk to her and talk to him, Adam? And she said, well, I never thought of that. Why didn't she think of that? Because her hope was earthbound, right? She had been sucked into what you and I get sucked into. Our little 60, 70, 80 years on earth is so important in the moment. And then there's this work of redemption going on in my life that the Holy Spirit is promoting. And when I speak wrong to you or don't give you what God has given me in compassion, what happens? I grieve that work, right? And then what else? The hope of spiritual influence, that it might give grace to the hearers. 
That's why. So do you see how faith in this promise produces a hope to motivate her to love someone that's treating her wrong because God commands it. God gives promises to motivate hope and to change us as we're working through these things. So this would be how she could say it. I have confident faith and hope in God's promise of exalting me and in using my mouth to strengthen the work of the Spirit in me and through me. So I desire to humbly respond to those who persecute me more than I desire to retaliate. The hope of retaliation is you get even. The hope of obedience is God exalts you. You choose, right? What will you choose? It has to be that clear in our mind when we're in these situations. Can you see how all three are active in making biblical choices that lead to biblical transformation? Without hope, we will not transform. Biblical change never occurs in a hopeless context. It's impossible. That's why if you read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says God has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises just like these to this gal. 1 Peter 1 is a great promise. Ephesians 4 is a great promise from God's mouth to you. God has granted to us his great and magnificent promises that through them you might escape. You know what you escape when you believe the promises? The corruption that is in the world through lust. I want a better life versus I want to obey God. Right? Because why do you want to obey God better than a better life? Because God is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than life. See how it's so important? Hope, right? And it goes on to say that you might become divine partakers or partakers in the divine nature, love. So let's celebrate this morning the hope of biblical transformation. Strengthen ourselves for war against the flesh, against the devil, right, and against the world by hope-motivated love, faith-motivated hope. Love is the summary of the Christian life. Would you not agree? If you're reading the Bible, can you tell me one thing that you would do in life that isn't can't be loving? First Corinthians sixteen fourteen says, "Whatever you do, do it in love." You think of one thing. Isaac and I were driving when he was about twelve years old. Not embarrassing, Isaac. It's a fun story. But we're driving twelve years old. He was twelve, not me. And uh, I was saying, uh, everything we do in life is to be done in love. Everything we do can be love. How I'm driving right now. <laughs> oh, is that right? Okay. And, he, and so I said, so let's stump me, honey. Let's stump me and try to see if we can find something that can't be done in love. And he said, what about uh, stocking shelves at Walmart? And I said, well, isn't that loving to stock shelves at Walmart? Who does that serve? Oh, the customers, right? Yeah. So the whole law of God is fulfilled in the command to love. Without hope, you won't stay strong in that. So without hope, you can't stay strong in love enough to change your character. You won't change your character. You won't be able to endure when it gets tough like this, gal. Right? Change requires hope. So let's revel for a bit in God's promise of progressive, positive change. There you have this on your outline. Look at that. Um, these passages lead us to glorying in the hope of change. And... Uh, Galatians 5, and 23 is the verse that I would encourage you to, to build this study of hope of transformation on. What do we have there? We have, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you believe that Christ can forgive? I'm sorry, not do you believe Christ can forgive? Do you believe that Christ can progressively change any proclivity in you? Um, look at the fruit of the Spirit. What are they? Let's, if you have a pencil, underline all of those. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Peace. Those three, would we all agree we could all like to have more of in our life? Then it gets a little bit more challenging. Do you want these that go with it? Not only love, joy, and peace, but patience towards Adam, Eve. Be more patient with Adam. Adam, be more patient with Eve. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is a promise that those who walk by the Spirit or under the control of the Spirit will bear these marks in their life. It'll be a fruit of the Spirit's work in you. We could see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. Can someone who murdered many people actually learn how to lay their life down and have compassion for people? Can a murderer, a cold-blooded murderer, change? According to Paul, we see the evidence of that. And according to this passage, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. How about joy? Can the depressed person, the person that is despairing of life itself, who is poorly nourished, i.e., maybe chemically imbalanced, can they experience some form of joy from being under control of the Spirit in their meditation and in their actions? Well, the Apostle Paul, as you know, was despairing of life itself, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Excessively burdened beyond our ability to endure. That's pretty strong. And you know he went without food for a number of days, and he was beaten. But yet he rejoiced always, right? Can being under control of the Spirit lead to a fruit that doesn't come from our circumstances, but from our Master, Jesus Christ, in us, right? The Spirit in us. How about the the anxious person, the timid? How about the the guy that is timid, lacks self-confidence, and has the kind of anxiety that leads to physical symptoms? Should we ask Timothy that in the Bible, who had stomach problems, who was timid, seemingly, because he was commanded to not be? Can he change? And he didn't have a father to instill confidence in him. He was seemingly raised by his mom and his, his grandmother. Can he find... That God hasn't given him a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Can the fruit of being under the control of the Holy Spirit lead you to experience the kind of peace that passes understanding as a way of life, as a character trait, not just a once in a while, right? We could go on and on, couldn't we? Look in this great, we get to faithfulness, self-control. Let's go to self-control. Can someone who is addicted for 20, 30 years to alcohol or sexual sin, maybe homosexual tendencies, can they experience a self-control that overrides the years of sinful living? Can they really, in the proclivities of what they want in life, really change so that their self-control puts to death that and puts to life a love for people instead of a lust for people, right? Can it happen? 
Don't ask me. Ask God, the God of all hope, right? Who wants to fill you with joy in what? Believing that, right? I wanted to have a little uh, section here on, uh, on, uh, from uh, Marx Brothers. You ever watch the Marx Brothers? There's a little scene in the Marx Brothers that he says, what are you going to believe, me or your eyes? <laughs> and I thought about, that for, thought about that for transformation. When you look at your own desires at times and you look at your own sinful proclivities of laziness, excuse-making, blame-shifting, whatever it is. I'm an anxious person. I'm an angry person. I'm impatient. Well, you look in the mirror and you see that. You need to say, am I going to believe that or am I going to believe what God has said? We walk by faith, not by sight. The inner man is to be renewed day to day even though the outer man is being decayed. You and I are full of the potential of becoming like Jesus. Does that not blow your mind or what? Because the fruit of being under the control of the Spirit is love. A kind of love that can overcome any kind of hate, right? A kind of joy that can overcome any kind of trial. A kind of peace that can pass any kind of circumstantial trial, trouble, right? A kind of self-control that bears down and buckles in and holds when the temptations glow, right? That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Wow, isn't that amazing? I want to feast on that a while. I can't. We've got to go to the next verse. Let's go to the next verse. Matthew 5, 6 says this. Oh, the tyranny of the clock, right? Matthew 5, 6. Listen to this promise. This is another promise from God of progressive, positive transformation. Listen, Jesus' first words, maybe his fifth line. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be what? Satisfied. Is that a promise? Does that make you hungry to do more hungering after righteousness, right? Is righteousness so beautiful to you that you desire that promise, right? Does it hold a promise for you that makes you a better husband, a better wife, a better dad, a better mom, a better whatever, employer? The reality is that we hunger and thirst to be right with God. God gives us forgiveness, we know that. And then he offers with that, or gives us the, the transformation. You will be filled with righteousness if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. The hope of change, right? The hope of change. Thirsty, hungering and thirsting. Have you ever been so thirsty that you'd give a hundred bucks for a glass of water? You're like, no, I wouldn't do that. What if you were dying what if you're dying of starvation and dehydration? You would give everything you've got. That's the kind of hunger and thirsting we're talking about in this passage. Has the Holy Spirit made you see how desperately uh, deplete you are and starving you are spiritually that without righteousness, your life is a big flat zero, right? You've got nothing to offer the world, nothing to go into eternity with unless you are filled with the righteousness that comes by this hope of being filled with righteousness, right? Are you that hungry? We need to stir each other up. What a great thought. 2 Corinthians 3.18, my favorite passage, Pastor Joel's favorite passage, and John MacArthur's favorite passage. So it's already taken, okay? <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with unveiled face, right? Behold as in a mirror the glory of Christ the beauty of Christ. 
His patience, His kindness, His love, His goodness, His self-control. See, all of it's there, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is in the person of Christ and now offered to you through being under the control of the Spirit. We're looking in a mirror. The, we're beholding the glory of Christ, amazed by it. And then what's, look at the, the result or the, the promise here. We're being transformed into that very same what? Image. Image. From, it's a progressive work, glory to glory. Are you more beautiful in righteousness this year than you were last year? Are you more loving, more patient, more self-control? You can have it. Generate the hope and get hungry. Go do it, right? But notice that this work doesn't just come by you working hard at beholding, but it comes by the, the last little phrase, by the what? Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that takes the truth Renews our heart, regenerates us. So when you look in the mirror of Christ, you see glory. And you say, I want more of that. I need more of that. And then Romans 12.3, or 12.2, sorry. Romans 12.2, be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. And what's the result? Then you may approve, right, the will of God. That means you might approve of it. You might taste and say, this is good. It is good to be patient. This morning, as you think about the growing in the quality of love, is it good to be patient or is it better to be impatient? Well, your last choice revealed what you believe, right? Meant right? You had the hope of something that someone got in the way of you getting, and you said, I'm going to be impatient. And then you had the hope also offered of becoming more like Christ while they got in the way of what you wanted, right? And you chose the second hope, the littler hope, right? I want you to give me what I want now. Versus, I'm waiting for Christ to give me something even better than what I want for you to give me. If you can follow that reality. What are you hoping for? Becoming more like Christ? Are you renewing your mind in that so that you want? Are we renewing our mind just in the scene? It's, it's, it's all dust and ashes, isn't it? The scene. It's all burning up. My skin is getting more wrinkly by the year, right? I can feel it coming, right? But while that's happening, I can be becoming, be becoming more and more transformed into the image of Christ. People who have walked with the Lord years are beautiful people. Amen. And people who haven't walked with the Lord are not so beautiful. What are you becoming? What are you wanting? You see how these promises, bottom of page one, these promises comfort your doubts, confront your excuses, and condition your endurance in tough circumstances if, and you've got to fill in the blank before you turn that page. Come on now. <laughs> if you desire it and you believe it's there for you, right? In Christ. This will work. Hope does work, right? If you desire it and if you believe Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, boy, you're a loser, say, yeah, without Christ, you're worse than a loser. In fact, Romans chapter 7, verse 18 says, nothing good dwells in me. But through Christ, I have become able to become like Christ, right? The potential is there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Now you can turn the page. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to make you guys feel guilty. I want you to feel hope this morning, not guilt. <laughs> Last week was guilt. (laughs) 
So you must believe you can change if you're going to change, as well as desire that change. What does God's promise of transformation require? It requires hearty cooperation. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 is a great verse to understand this. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you to will and to work for his good purposes. There's a hope in verse 13 there that God is at work in you to will and to work. Isn't that exciting? How do I respond to this promise? I work out with fear and trembling. I work it out. A pastor for over 30 years came and asked me to counsel him. And he had a besetting sin of pornography. And I, he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, I have tried for years. Is there hope? And he bawled, he cried. And I thought, it's not in me. But I looked at him and I said, well, what does God promise? We must start with, do you have the ability through Christ to do this? And we went to Romans chapter 8, verse 12 and 13, as a promise of change. Here's another verse to feast on for change. Brothers, we're under obligation, not according to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you must or will die. But, that doesn't sound like a promise, sounds like a consequence, right? A warning. But if, here it is, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And he laughed. He just laughed after that. It was an amazing result. That hope made him laugh. And that, hope, that laughing hope didn't just stop there. It made him pull up his, roll up his sleeves and get busy working out what does it mean by the Spirit. So let's look. What does it mean to by the Spirit change? We have here two things, new habits and renewing your heart. You must have a new habit and a new heart. New habits are so important to develop in the Christian life. And Ephesians 4, 24 says that we are to put off the old man, right? Put off the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And verse 24, put on the new self. The old self, we're talking about those habits. Instead of responding by habit to a temptation to lust by saying, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has entered in the heart of man what God has prepared. I want to love God. We say, no, I want to look at that thing that I'm tempted by. That's a habit. We by habit sin now, not just by nature. There's a desire and then we have it. So Paul is calling us to put off those old traits for the rest of our life and put on the replacement trait. <clears throat> so habit development is so important. Hebrews chapter 5 says that mature food is for them who have had their, tra- their senses trained by constant use. They know the good and evil they can discern. So Hebrews 5 talks about the training, habit development. How many habits have you and I developed in the last year because of our love for Jesus? If we're not, we need to realize this is one of the main works, if not the main work of our life. To not just be excited about Christ, Christ, but to develop habits that look like Christ. How do we do that? How do we put off and put on? Well, we have to discover and do what the Bible commands us until the new choices become new habits. New choices. Um, let's take 
Pastor Joel's sermon series, 1 Corinthians 13. He gave us a challenge to memorize the qualities of love, right? Love is what? Patient, kind. Let's stop there because maybe we didn't memorize any further. But patient and kind. There's a nice verse. Doesn't it make you feel good when you memorize it? What do you do after you memorize it? You've got to develop into a habit of being a patient person. Put off what? Impatience. Put on what? Patience, right? And so we have this idea that we've got this hope-motivated change. We put off, we study this idea of patience, and we put, on the, put off those things that destroy patience, and we put on those things that promote patience, that help us with patience. And the question is, why would we want to become patient? Right? Well, that's an important question. Is it, are you hungry and thirsty for that? Do you see the gain of that? So in habit development, though, what we're talking about is we three, four things I'd encourage you to write down on your paper there under developing of habits. One is habit discovery. You've got to discover what habit you need to change in before you'll start changing. So in the area of patience, that's, you can go to the scripture and look for clues on what you're supposed to be changing, and the word is a mirror to help you see what needs to change. So habit discovery... How are you going to discover? If you're really wanting to experience this great transformation that's yours in Christ, you must first isolate what habit you're working on. You don't just do it with everything. I'm just going to work on all of this at once. Pick a few things at once. Pick one thing at once. Patience. What ends up happening is it's a domino effect. You start getting geared up and focused on the real game, sanctification, and you start looking for righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says... Pursue righteousness. Now, I want you to think about this. Pursuing righteousness is the idea of hunting it down like, you, like you're on a lion hunt, like you're going for squirrel or for deer. You hunt down, where's the deer going to be? What do I do to kill the deer, right? Do I have a big enough gun? How do I handle this? Why do I even want the deer, right? All this is important as we're hunting for deer. So in your habit development, are you hunting down righteousness? In this form, patience, loving patience with people. Another good way to discover what habit you need to work on is to ask your closest neighbor. They probably know, right? Ask your closest neighbor. Look, here's some qualities of 1 Corinthians 13. Patience. Where am I impatient? And this is what I wanted to say, too, as we think about habit discovery, is ask these questions. Ask these questions. Who... When, right? Who do I need to be patient with? When do I struggle to not be patient? And write it down. If we had time, we would write it down right now. We would write down, where is it that I struggle to be impatient or whatever quality? There's something about getting them out on a journal that your conscience gets more aware and more alert to. Habit discovery, so important when we're talking about it. Uh, of biblical change. We must change our habits if we're going to have hope of realized hope. Habit reminders is the second one. Write down habit reminders. You need to be reminded that you're working on that habit. Anyone ever started a new habit and then forget you're working on it? Yeah. Isn't that a sad Christian life, right? Man, I was going to work on that. That was 10 years ago. (laughs) Get back into the game. The hope is still there. It's not changed. Habit reminders. Don't rely on your memory. And try to add to an existing habit a new habit if you can. Let the old habit trigger you that you're working on a new habit. Memorize scripture. That helps you remember, right? 
And the best of all is to get accountable with some good accountability questions with someone that loves you and knows God. Here's three or four questions that I've come up with that I'd like you to ask me each day or each week in this area to help me remember I am learning to put this off, right? And then habit barrier, put that word down. There comes this barrier, you know, that you're starting to work on habit, you're trying to remember, and then you hit that barrier, that old habit is pulling you back. You've got to fight through that barrier with hope, don't you? You've got to fight through it with hope. And then lastly, habit reward. What, think often about the reward of the new habit. Isn't that biblical? That is wrecked to our study on hope, isn't it? Well, listen, if all we did was exercise in life, does exercise equal Arnold Schwarzenegger muscles? Don't you say yes. What if you never ate? You would die before you ever got that bicep, right? What causes muscles to grow is not just exercise, but nourishment. The heart must be pumping. So here's why Paul says, not only put off and put on, but in the very middle, verse 23, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spirit, the way you look at things, what you think on. So renewing your heart and hope is so important. Think often on biblical thoughts that stir or renew your hope in Christ for change. Can you think of any hope, reward, enough to say, I'm going to fight through the habit barrier. I've isolated the habit. I've discovered what I need to do. Now I'm reminded of when I need to do it because I've got some accountability in my life. I've got scripture memory going. In the morning, I spend time doing this. In the evening, I spend time doing that. These habits are starting to develop. That 21 day is exciting. Do I have enough rewards to fight through the, the barrier? Right? This is why I say that the connective tissue between character development and faith in God, or, or the truth of God's word, is hope. Faith produces endurance, which results in proven character, James chapter 1 would say, right? I've given you some verses to look at that helps you be compelled by this hope. All these verses give you hope to keep working on these habit changes. You must have habit change and heart change if you're going to change. I want to read Hebrews 10, and we're going to summarize it with this. There's so much more we could cover, but we're just going to look at how hope compels. Hebrews 10, I'm going to read it for you. Paul is talking, or maybe not Paul, right? <laughs> is speaking. And he says this to them. And you can turn there, Hebrews 10. Look at the hope that is being offered here in this passage. Here he's talking about, in verse 35, you showed sympathy to the prisoner and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Isn't that strange? Tough circumstances. Knowing that you yourself have a better what? Possession and a lasting one. They were learning how to give up their possessions on earth by habit. Just, oh, there goes another 10 acres, right? There goes another $100. There goes another this, another that. They were learning to give that up. They had had a heart change that led now to a change in mannerisms, handling life. But look what he says here. But do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't throw away this hope. That's what we need to hear when we're struggling through a habit development. For you have need of what? Endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, Adam and Eve's scenario we looked at earlier, you may receive what was promised. 
For yet in a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by what? Faith. Faith in promises, primarily. And if he shrinks back, here's the warning. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of soul. So I would encourage you to look at the promises as you're working to develop new habits and a new heart. And your hope work this week is heart change and habit change. Be thinking about this. Today, as you've listened, have there been biblical thoughts or passages that have stirred your hope for change? I hope so. I hope you've heard things that have made, me, made you hungry for righteousness. You know what you need to do with those? Forget about them. No. You need to start believing those instead of your eyes. Right? How do you do that? Well, you've got a little practical biblical meditation sheet following that you could take those three verses and study them this week. Let the Holy Spirit bring more insights to you. And then number two, habit change. Select three ways you can apply 1 Corinthians 13 to your relationships with your closest neighbors, right? That passage that we're encouraged to meditate on, memorized by our sermon series. Each evening, evaluate your progress prayerfully. Use a journal. So you have to get in the habit of getting in the habit of journaling. You've got to start off. The morning is the best time. You don't have to do it then. Of renewing your heart. And then in the evening, renew your commitment to habit by journaling how you did in those areas. If you did that, then the promise of change will come. Because if by the Spirit you're putting to death those deeds that are the old man and exercising that which belongs to Christ, you will become an amazing power for God in this world, full of Christ. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. So if you learn the habit of being under the control of the Spirit, you will grow. So ending with our verse, our main verse of the whole series, now may the God of all hope, and in this case, hope of transformation we're talking about, now may the God of all hope of transformation fill you with joy in the prospect of transformation by believing in transformation, right? You see that? So that you may abound in transformation, right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for his indwelling ministry to us that has been given to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin. We began the Christian life needing forgiveness because we were hungry for righteousness. We continue the Christian life needing transformation because we continue hungry for righteousness. The more righteous we grow, the more hungry we become for it. Thank you. And one day when we see you face to face, our hope will be realized. We will be changed. We will be transformed. We'll not only have a new nature, we'll have a new body. We'll have new surroundings. But Father, we thank you for the glory of transformation for the hope of it. May we feast on it this week and put it into practice. Help us, Lord. Help us to not believe what we see, but what you say. In Jesus' name, amen.